everybody. I'm Kate Conroy. And I'm Vinny Civitello. And this is Other People's Business, which is the podcast from the New Jersey Business and Industry Association, the largest statewide business association in the country. Uh, we release a new episode every other Wednesday, so be on the lookout for that. Shout out to New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Group. They do home, auto, and workers' comp, so check them out if you need some updated coverage. Awesome. Just a couple of housekeeping matters before we get started. This show is available anywhere you can get a podcast. That's iTunes, Google Play, Amazon's TuneIn. We even put these things up on YouTube if you'd rather watch than listen. But no matter how you're checking out this show, show it some love. Give it that comment. Give it that like. Give it that five-star review on iTunes. Help us get discovered by more awesome listeners just like you. So with that out of the way, our awesome guest today is Greg Angelillo of Transparent Energy. So Greg, say hi. Let the audience hear your voice. Hi, Vinny and Kate. Thank you for uh, having me be a part of the show and excited to be on. So thank you very much. The pleasure is all ours. I was just going to say it's our pleasure. All right. So let's get things going with our icebreaker question. What are you currently binging? And it can be uh, books, movies, television, food, whatever you feel like. And if you Uh, think, oh, go ahead. Listen, I'm Italian, so as, as you know, Vinny could attest to, you have a vowel in your last name, you're constantly binging on Italian food, you know, and sorbet, <laughs> desserts, and that sort of thing, so <laughs> maybe a little gelato. Um, yeah, listen, my, my wife and I have three kids, so uh, we, we don't really get a ton of time to binge watch movies or even TV shows, but oddly enough, um, I hadn't seen the show in, what, a decade? But we've started binge watching The Sopranos again because of the Many Saints of Nork release. Yes. And I'm a Rutgers grad and James Gandolfini, of course, the late great, was a Rutgers grad himself. Actually had a chance to meet him a couple of times. So um, it's neat to kind of see that and uh, and have that connection. So yeah, Sopranos all the way in. That I heard that there's a new spinoff or something coming. They're talking about it. It's in uh, HBO, I think, has a first look deal with uh, David Chase. Yep. Yes. I uh, I loved The Many Saints of Newark, and I am this close to pulling the trigger on a, a rewatch binge of The Sopranos because it totally fired me up. I couldn't believe how good it was. I, I've only I seen a few episodes here and there, but I keep meaning to do the whole thing. Never? Yeah. Oh Never. God, great. I yeah. mean, a few. Like, I've seen a few. I watched maybe, like, the first couple, and then I've seen a few of them um, at sporadic points. Like, you know, if I was somewhere and people were watching it, I sat down and I watched it with them. You know, there were a couple things like that. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I never did the whole thing. Yeah, you know, I, I thought it was neat, Vinny, to your point. Like, there's, there's, you can get engaged in it and still sort of understand the storyline. Yeah. Uh, what I always found to be cool about uh, being from New Jersey are some of the landmarks that they would always show throughout various episodes. And, uh, you know, no matter what season you're in, there's certainly a lot of that. But for me, it tied up a lot of the loose ends from the many saints of Newark, right? And it kind of goes back to Tony Soprano and James Gandolfini's character, early days of, you know, how he uh, needed to go see Dr. Melfi and Lorraine Bracco's character and, uh, you know, a lot of the the family issues and and that sort of thing. Um, I I will say this, and I don't want to spoil it for our listeners, but as a standalone mob film, if you will, for lack of a better, you know, genre, um, I, I wasn't, I was kind of disappointed with Many Saints of Newark, um, okay. as opposed to a Goodfellas or a Godfather yeah. movie and the like. Uh, but having said that, if you're a fan of Sopranos, I think you will be a fan of, of Many Saints of Newark just by a lot of the, uh, the sheer symmetry that, uh, that is tied in throughout the show. Throughout totally the agree. I think Goodfellas might be my favorite mob movie of all time because it's so succinct. It's, it, it spans, but it's, it doesn't go on and on. Um, but the many saints was, 
I think the thing I loved about it was I've been reading books about um, Newark because my favorite author is Philip Roth. And so Newark is in as a character in a lot of his books. And he talks about the riots a lot. And The Many Saints is the first time I've ever seen the riots depicted the way that they probably actually took place. It was fascinating to look at from a historical perspective. And then just knowing these characters the way that I did from watching The Sopranos for so long, you know, meeting Christopher's father, just there were so many pieces of it that were really, really great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so anyway, right. sorry, that was that was really long um, <laughs> sidebar. Vin, what are you binging? <laughs> I can't really say I've been binging anything lately. I just watched that Dune movie on HBO Max. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it, it's funny, like I um I was never I haven't read the book and I was never into like the old movie. I haven't seen that either. So this got a lot of hype. So I threw it on and um I I didn't dislike it, but I can't really say it grabbed me either. Um Greg, you mentioned, you know, not having a lot of time to binge with the kids. This was one of those things where I knew it was gonna be kind of violent, so I waited until my daughter went to bed and then put it on. And maybe because of that. Um, the sound mixing in this movie, it's one of those things where when they talk, it's at one and everything else is at 10. Right. So if I have to be there with the remote control throughout the entire movie to go up and down, up and down, up and down, you've lost me. And that, yeah. that's, that's kind of the experience that I had with that one. So that's incredible. Yeah. How about you, Kate? Um, well, I'm binging an oldie, but a goodie. Have you guys ever heard of the show Resident Alien? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. You both sound really underwhelmed, so I'm I'm nervous about going forward yeah, with this. No, we we watched um the first episode, and my daughter was in the room at the time, and she oh, no. she's four, and she saw the uh the guy turn into the alien, and she was terrified. So we just stopped it, and we we never went back. So yeah, I don't blame you. He's a scary looking alien, but after yeah. he takes over the body of the you know the local doctor. <laughs> It's really a kind of a funny fish out of water story that uh, I enjoyed quite a bit. It looked yeah. like it would be good. Yeah, there were parts of it that were really funny because, you know, he's got this guy's phone. And so somebody will use an, ex an expletive and he will quickly Google what that expletive means and then be horrified at the results of his Google search. It's really funny. <laughs> anyway. I, I think that's uh, that's the icebreaker. Sure. So I, tell I, us about I, I, I had to. I'd be remiss if I didn't that you know because of the 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 love fest that everybody has with DVRs. We uh, we do on occasion. Uh, we'll make sure that we're staying up to date on America's funniest home videos and oh, also yeah. Dancing with the Stars. So that I Friday didn't even know night, they still made that show. <laughs> that's that's the last thing. It is. It is. Wow. And uh, Alfonso, I can't remember his name, but he was in Fresh Prince of Bel Air along with Will oh, Smith. Sure. Um, Carlton, he's the host, yeah, and, and so uh, so anyway, yes, exactly. Do the Carlton. Good for him. So, so anyway, needless to say, um, because of, of Friday being pizza night and family game night and family fun night in our household, um, Vin, our our kids are nine and a half, six and a half, and two and a half. Um, we'll we'll occasionally throw on and binge watch, let's say America's Funniest Home Videos for a couple of episodes. So if we want to consider that binging, we have a good time with that too in our household. Okay. That's awesome. That's a really fun idea. I like it. Sure. Tell <laughs> us about uh, Transparent Energy, though. Yeah, appreciate you asking. Um, we're a large... Uh, why we're here. <laughs> What's that? <laughs> why we're here, why maybe, we're... Talk, maybe talk a little business as opposed to... Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, we're, we're, a, we're a large uh, energy procurement firm uh, based in northern New Jersey at the Fairfield office, actually where I'm sitting right now. Um, and so we procure power for large and uh, energy end users 
and act as a liaison between those folks, whether or not they're developers, manufacturers, light industrial, uh, commercial office space, data centers, hospitals, universities, you name it. If they're a large end user of power, we represent them in the marketplace uh, and act as a liaison between them and third-party energy suppliers that more often than not folks have heard of, even if they turn on uh, you know, the golf network or, or watch a PGA Tour event because a lot of the folks are wearing their, their hats that say uh, Constellation or Direct Energy uh, or NRG, NG. Those are uh, the third-party uh, energy yeah. suppliers that we represent in the in the uh, in the business. It sounds like like you're a mortgage broker almost. So like if I wanted to buy a house, my mortgage broker would go out and find the best deal for me, and it could be any bank. Is that is that kind of right? Yeah, it's it's not a bad analogy, Kate. It's it, you're right because if you've been through the mortgage process before, the the only difference is is that we're not taking blood and asking for your right arm. Uh, <laughs> so many of those brokers Fair are point. doing. <laughs> we just we just need a bill copy and maybe your last contract. Um, but no, I mean we we are. We're. I think the difference is this: is that we're very proactive in the market. We're going out 12 to 18 months in advance of contract expiration. When I first got started in this industry about 10 years ago, uh, it was the number was about every five out of 10 large end users was going uh, to a third party supplier and utilizing retail choice programs. That number uh, today is more like eight and a half. So uh, a commercial client of ours is already utilizing our services or, or the services that we can provide, uh, with the difference being is that we're, we're being really proactive in the market. And, um, and Vinny, to really kind of tie up your point of you know, what's, what's transparent all, uh, energy all about, we, we run a, a live reverse auction platform for our clients that, that really helps save you as the client about seven to 8% over and above any other procurement methodology that's out there in the marketplace today. And, and that's a real number. It's based off an apples to apples comparison of uh, where you're currently at or the current methodology that you're, that you're utilizing to procure power. What's a reverse auction? It's a good question. So everyone's familiar with eBay and sure. you know the fact that you have a certain allotted you know, amount of time, let's just keep it simple for our, our listeners. Let's say that there's 30 minutes uh, on that eBay auction. That will be essentially a race to the top, right? Um, while the clock, uh, you know, ticks down to zero. With a reverse auction, it's different in a sense where the suppliers, for them, it's a race to the bottom. Who can get the lowest price for you during that 30 auction period? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and interestingly enough, it, it's actually the same methodology that the Board of Public Utilities in New Jersey and all of our surrounding states utilizes, except only 5% of the marketplace utilizes a reverse auction to procure power. Um, and the only other point that I'll make is we do have a reverse eBay effect feature within the auction so that if the clock does tick down below 30 seconds, any one of the suppliers can come in with a low bid and then that clock automatically resets to uh -huh. 120 seconds and has the suppliers sort of take a deep breath, regather, reestablish themselves and go have at it again. So it's, it's actually a really fun thing. It may not be a, uh, a bad thing to, to show live on a, on a podcast, maybe live to tape one day. <laughs> it's a pretty cool, cool. thing. Exciting stuff. <laughs> and I mean, not as exciting as it gets on the on the energy procurement stuff. <laughs> Seriously, but eight percent for a large user—that's like thousands and thousands of dollars, right? Yeah, I mean, when when you're talking about, let's say, you know, a million dollar spend a year, I mean, that's eighty thousand dollars. And and many of our clients, Kate, um, Transparent Energy has you know three thousand unique clients 
Um, so, you know, you're, you're talking about something where they're probably not spending a million dollars. They might be spending five or 10 times that much. So you can see where if you're getting involved in a contract where, um, you know, the, the price is applicable for you and there's budget certainty and budget predictability, that's going to be pretty meaningful for a large end user for sure. So you keep saying large, um, like where's the cutoff? Like who do you represent? It's a, yeah, that's a great question. So we have over 3,000 e clients in our database, um, of which the, the average uh, client probably uses, let's say about 3 million kilowatt hours a year uh, on the electricity side of things. And then on the uh, gas side of things, 100,000 therms a year. Um, what is that equitable to? Probably an office space that's uh, an office building, it's about 65,000 square feet. Um, an industrial or manufacturing client could certainly be more or less depending on the size. Uh, data centers, that could be a 10,000 square foot data center, right? That's how much power 24 seven they're churning through. But uh, at the end of the day, that's our really our entry point for auctions. But Vinny, we have we have a lot of clients that um, are, are a lot smaller than that. Not necessarily the mom and pop pizzerias of the world, but certainly those that uh, don't qualify for an auction that would still qualify for what's called a sealed bid auction, where our process doesn't waver. We still go out to as many suppliers as we can, generally speaking about 15 or 18 of those suppliers to try to get the lowest uh, you know, rate in the market for the client on that particular day. Cool. That's great. Very cool. I feel like I learned so much. I, gotta, I <laughs> need to take a minute and digest. Uh, why don't we take a, a quick break and when we come back, we're gonna play a game. And we're back, and it is now time to play my favorite game, Awful or Awesome. I'm going to name three things, and we each have to decide quickly if they're awful or awesome, and be prepared to defend your answers. Ready? Ready. All right, so you guys are both Jersey guys. Jersey Shore, the TV show. I have never seen an episode, but I'm still going to go ahead and say awful. Wow. Um. <laughs> It's funny. I I, I want to say we did this on an episode a long time ago where we talked about long Jersey Shore. I don't remember what my answer was, but um, when we were talking about maybe bringing this up, I I said, you know what? I, I think I actually would like to talk about it again because we had there was like a whole um, revival show that they did. Um, family vacation. Got, yeah, the the family vacation. I haven't gotten around to actually watching it yet. I will put out there on the table that I've probably seen every episode of like the other one, like the original run of it. It's a guilty pleasure, whatever, you know, like whatever. But um, I caught a clip on YouTube from the family vacation thing of Angelina's wedding. And um, they did like a, a you know, like the, the maid of honor speech. And when I say, as somebody who's interested in communications and public speaking, <laughs> um, I would actually recommend watching this to anyone because Dina, Nicole, JWoww and Snooki gave a masterclass on what not to do when you're handed a microphone, like <laughs> particularly at a wedding, but even in general. Like, yeah. um, Vinny sent was, me the clip and I watched yeah. it right before we uh, jumped on here. And I just am so glad about my decision to not watch the show because it, <laughs> uh, it just underlines exactly what's wrong with the world. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was difficult to tell watching that speech whether or not they actually hated the bride. And I, I think like, if you are writing a wedding speech or any speech in general, I feel like you should know your audience. You should know like who you're delivering yeah. it to. And they just didn't read the room. And they they not only got booed out, you know, <laughs> like the, the whole guest crowd was booing them until they just left. Um, one of them stormed out of the wedding. The bride stormed out crying. 
um, Snooki quit the show. So if you were thinking maybe it was all just staged for the sake of like whatever, it wasn't even like that. <laughs> so, no, I mean, yeah, I definitely want to catch up on it. I <laughs> shouldn't ever really say to anybody, "You are the trash to my bag." Yeah, the lice to my hair. There were a lot of them. The one that got them booed out of the room was when they said you're the the dump to our island, which was mocking Staten Island. You know, the, they call it the Staten Island dump. And obviously, the reading the room, most of the room were her family from Staten Island, so they took that very personally. You know. Yeah. Yeah. Never, never insult the bride in a wedding speech. Yeah. And don't go over like two or three minutes and don't make it about you. Those are my big <laughs> tips. If you're going to write a wedding speech. <laughs> I mean, I feel uh -huh. like, and anytime I've ever seen somebody try to do like a roast as part of their wedding speech, it's always, always, always gone wrong. Every yeah. single time. It's never gone well. So anyway, I think that the bride or the groom can kind of pretend that they're, you know, going along with it, which in her credit, she did. She did. Like, for that first like couple of insults there, she kind of laughed along. And then you kind of saw her in her face. She was like, okay, guys, wrap it up. <laughs> but but you shouldn't nice. put somebody in that position during their wedding day. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, we just like... jokes are, are a no-no. And, yeah. you know, and, and the other the other issue that I've had at, at you know being from a big Italian family and, and having been to a lot of weddings are you know nowadays folks that they put their speech on their phone oh i hate that they, they constantly have to go back in with the password key or the face recognition uh, and the phone has to light up again so it's yep. just a, a pause that's completely unnatural yep and my theory is is if this person has asked you to be in their wedding and then deliver a speech the least you could do is try to memorize that even yeah. if it is 35 seconds <laughs> I can exactly. tell you, I think that if you can't memorize it, it's too long. Like, yes. God, I was call. at a wedding once, and I honestly can't even remember whose wedding it was, but the best man went first, and his speech was 15 minutes, and it was all about, like, the two of them, like, the the best man and the groom, and how they were kids together, and then they went to, like, college together, and all their adventures after college, and I'm like, this has nothing to do with the wedding, but, like, none of anybody in the audience cared at all. And then the maid of honor got up and gave like, what I'm going to say is the best wedding speech of all time. She was just like, I don't want to take up too much of your time. I just love these two tremendously. And I know that all these people do too. So toast to them. And we gave her a standing ovation because it was like, after that 15 minutes, it was just like, get on with it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Know the room, read the room. Read the room. But I well, think Jersey Shore in particular, getting back to Jersey Shore, Jersey it's just, Shore. it's just, Okay, so most people in New Jersey that I know have like a love-hate relationship with it. Either they love it just to watch the train wrecky part of it, or they absolutely hate it because because of the way it portrays New Jersey people. Like this is not how we want people in other parts of the country and world to think New yeah. Jersey people are. Like it's just not nice. Not I mean, the bulk of that cast was from New York anyway. So right. Yeah. <laughs> right. I forgot right. about that. Yeah, yeah, that, that's why I got to give it the awful because it it is awesome for the train wreck that's about to ensue. Yeah, uh, which in and of itself is just completely awful. And uh, I I mentioned to you to you both that um, I I'm a Jersey guy and spent my summers at the Jersey Shore growing up as a kid, uh, actually in, in near Spring Lake. And so uh, to me, 
New Jersey is a wonderful state, right? I mean, you have the, the you know, Appalachian Mountains and High Point and the Jersey Shore and Cape May and everywhere in between. And that is not a true reflection no. of the Jersey Shore, unfortunately. And totally being that they're all from New York, it gives zero representation to what we're really all about as Jersey people. Yeah. Um, so yeah, big, big old awful for me. All right, so I think we're all three of us are awful. Sure. <laughs> All right. Next I've up. seen it. It's a guilty pleasure, but I'm not going to say it's good television. You know, you should. Of course. Watch. <laughs> right. Right. Okay. That's fair. That's fair. All right. So the next one is uh, binge watching television in general. So like not a specific show, but like the the ability that Netflix introduced to us to watch a show for eight hours and go through like ten seasons of Friends or The Sopranos or or something. So the idea of binge watching, mm. I'm going to say, awesome. I love it. I don't know. I mean, um, it was kind of funny, like when Netflix first kind of came out, they kind of noticed that this is how people are watching everything on their platform and they started making shows available in that format. So if there's a season, every episode in that season is available the day it comes out. And you kind of thought that that was the direction things were going to go in from there on out. And now everybody's got a streaming platform. And at least as far as I'm aware, no one else does that, you know, like, so Disney Plus puts them out one week at a time. Hulu puts them out one week at a time. So I don't know. I I yeah, kind of feel like right. HBO I, puts them out one week at a time. You're right. Yeah. So I think like if if the show is there, you know, and I'm behind, then yeah, I'm gonna binge through it and watch them all because I want to see what's next. But I feel like if I'm given that opportunity to go week to week, I think I kind of prefer that. It gives you a chance to kind of like wonder what's coming up next. It gives you kind of an opportunity to talk about it with yeah. people without worrying about whether or not you're going to spoil something two seasons ahead. <laughs> Plus, and I'm just going to say this, I'm that guy that doesn't remember anything from anything I watched. Like if it's a TV show that I watched like six months ago, I've already forgotten it. And part of that is that like I watched the whole season in one day and then it's yeah. 364 more days until I'm like interacting with that show again at all. So I need that like two minute like reminder in the beginning to be like, okay, what was going on with this, you know? Yeah, that's yeah. fair, I guess. Greg, what do you think? Yeah, I, I have an ambivalent relationship with this too. It's awesome for the fact that we have a two and a half year old at home that loves to binge watch Coco Melon. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll give you I'll give you an example. Vinny was talking about you know just six months later. Well, we my wife and I watched however many seasons there were of Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, and we watched all all the episodes, I think there were 84 episodes and we we did it during like the winter before the pandemic. And we, you got so ingratiated with these characters that we were like putting ourselves in the show and having dreams. And I was like emotionally attached to these characters. Right, it's like, I bought a motorcycle. Right, <laughs> exactly. And I, I don't even ride a motorcycle. So it, it, to me, that was probably awful because uh, at the same time, I just became so emotionally attached that um, maybe I started to, uh, <laughs> to not really think about the priorities <laughs> in my life that I should have past 10 p.m., like paying bills maybe. Um, but no, I, yeah, I say that in jest. I, I yeah. think it's cool that you can binge watch, but something there's there's something that harkens back to our childhood years and our formidable years where you would go and wait for TGIF and you know all the Friday shows to come on and it was like an event that happened in your household. So um, yeah, I, I'm gonna give kind of the uh, the the awfulsome view. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think anybody's ever done that before. Very nice. Awesome. Fair. It kind of builds up this like crazy amount of hype. Like, all right, so Sons of Anarchy, we're going to take that as an example. I, I think I watched that one season at a time. But if I was watching 
I don't even remember how many seasons of that show there were, but like, it's, it's basically Hamlet. And, you know, you kind of understood like where that was going based on the idea that like, we know Hamlet, but like towards the end there, they kind of dropped the ball on that tremendously and they botched the ending. And it was just kind of like, eh. So I watched all that and then they kind of like failed to stick the landing. And then it's just like, you feel like such a waste of like, I don't know, a hundred hours of your last week or whatever. Right, God. right. That's upsetting. Yeah. All right. Uh, I, I'm going to move on because I we could talk about this actually forever, I think. But I, we, we have a time <laughs> limit. It's a good podcast sure. topic in and of itself, right? For yeah, amazing, the name only, of the you're talking my language. Yeah. Telling, yeah. All right. So the last one is Central Jersey as a concept. Now, people who are not in New Jersey may not know this, but there is kind of this big existential fight as to whether or not Central Jersey even exists. So there's North Jersey and there's South Jersey. And what is Central Jersey then? So I think it's awesome. I totally believe in Central Jersey. I think it's Middlesex, Monmouth and Mercer counties. Yeah. That's what that's how I feel. And I'm willing to 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 fight anybody who says that that's not correct. I'm not really I'm gonna say it. Central Jersey is one hundred percent a thing. I grew yeah. up in Mercer County. Um, there you go. And you know, like I think what it is, all right. So if you're from North Jersey, Greg, you could probably um you know connect with this. Like you you root for the New York teams. And if you're from South Jersey, you root for the Philadelphia teams. But when you're in Central Jersey, kind of all bets are off. You're either like one, the other, both, maybe like people out in Denver or, you know, like whatever. But like, Denver. I think that's kind of that culture of the middle of the thing. We don't really have the same identities as like the South Jersey people, but we're not quite North either. It's a different culture altogether. Yeah, I, listen, I, I agree with both of you. I think Central Jersey is absolutely a thing. I'm a I'm a Rutgers grad, so I was I, I mentioned that before. I always considered that to be sort of the you know the Mason Dixon line of New Jersey, if you will, that New Brunswick, <laughs> this Gataway area. And it's funny when it comes to I, I you know I was a high school football player. I played football at Rutgers for a year and a half. I had really bad shoulders, so it forced me out of the game, unfortunately. But still, a, a, you know, I I bleed scarlet every day despite the ups and downs and how hard it is to be a Rutgers athletic fan in general. But having said that, um, when it comes to football, interestingly enough, there is no central Jersey. It's North Jersey football and South Jersey football. But when it comes to nearly everything else, um, food, teams, um, you know, that you root for and, and the like, there, I think there's a definitive split. There really is a North Central and southern southern New Jersey. I would almost, I agree with Kate what she said about Middlesex, you know, and and Monmouth and Mercer. I would almost throw Hunterdon County in there too. So, um, it's uh, yeah, it's you know, I, I think Mercer Middlesex um, is is probably a good starting point for that Central Jersey conversation, though, for sure. Which leads leads into another conversation: Is it pork roll or is it Taylor ham? <laughs> it's not going on my sandwich. That's all I know. <laughs> I was going to say the same thing. Growing up, I didn't eat either one. So like when people started asking me that, I was like, well, what are they? <laughs> if you were to ask me Taylor ham or bacon or sausage, I would say bacon or sausage. Just bacon. Right. Like, Just no. bacon. So actually, on a sandwich roll, I think it would be sausage because it's easier to eat. Okay. Right. I don't know. You, bacon is never difficult to eat. You could put bacon on That's literally true. anything. Like, That's true. You could, I, I'm bacon. sure you could figure out a way to like stick 
pieces of bacon and ice cream and it would i'm not saying that would be a good idea i'm just saying it wouldn't be any no, harder to eat my <laughs> sister makes like a maple bacon cupcake and i've never had one but it sounds amazing doesn't it that does sound amazing <laughs> well, and bacon is definitely a breakfast lunch and dinner meal too you can 100%. have a, and and granted taylor ham you can have you know pretty well and that now you know which side of the equation i'm on but <laughs> Interestingly enough, uh, before this podcast, Kate and I had a conversation, and I had mentioned to you, Kate, that uh, John Taylor yes. was a senator, for, state senator from Hamilton, from from Vinny's neck of the woods in Mercer County, and yet, in all, you know, a lot of the time, it's referred to to pork roll down in yep. in uh, Central and South Jersey, as opposed to to Taylor Ham. But John Taylor's from Hamilton, New Jersey, so go figure. And he's the founder of of Taylor Ham. So there you go. I guess the more you know, I want to like put one of those little rainbows up. <laughs> Let's say that's the game. Um, so Greg, I, I actually did have a question before. Um, so say I'm a company and I don't know, I, I'm interested in um, finding out what's out there for me, what you know kinds of deals I could strike in my, my new reverse auction that's waiting out there for me somewhere. Um, what would be the best time for me to switch? Because I know people are kind of locked into contracts and stuff. Um, how how far from the end of my contract should I really be knocking you on down your door? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So um, it's such a commodity-based sale, Vinny, that at the end of the day, it's, it's really dependent on what the market's doing, right? You know, right now, natural gas has, has been this expensive in, in 13 years, and natural gas is actually the chief commodity that drives and influences electricity rates. So every time that we turn on the lights in our office or at home, it doesn't matter if it's residential or commercial. Yes, our focus is on commercial, but when you flick on those lights, that's, that's predicated on how natural gas trades. So there is that commodity trader element to it and the knowledge that we have to impart on our clients. But more often than not, um, there, there are no um, you know, points throughout the year where uh, they call them the shoulder months, where you have to procure power in the months of, let's say, September and October, when you're not using as much heating or cooling demand, or in April and May. It's really based off of when your contract does expire. And typically, most brokerage shops will go out maybe two, three months in advance before the end of contract expiration, and it pigeonholes the client. It doesn't give them enough time to formulate a risk management strategy and have the ability to go out and really use those data inflection points in the market to, um, to, to see what their appetite for risk is, right? Um, with our process, we're going out, and I'm, I appreciate you asking the question because it's an, an important one, timing is really of the essence. It's probably about half of what we put into as far as our process. So we're going out 12, 15, sometimes 18 months in advance of contract expiration. Not unheard of, even if it's two years out from contract expiration, just to allow the client- I didn't even know people got locked into deals that long. <laughs> yeah, in Jersey, you can, you can sign anywhere between one month or, or 60 months or anywhere in between. So if you're in the midst of a five-year contract and you have two years left, uh, it's not a bad time to, to look at things depending on the scenario. Um, because what, what our process allows for is the ability to walk away, for you to say, you know what, I'm comfortable with my position now. I'm glad we took a look at it, but let's, Greg, hit me up again in six months and let's talk about it and discuss things further. Um, so the more time that you have on your side, given that it is a commodity-based sale, the better off ultimately your procurement strategy can be. All right, and let's say somebody wants to go through with it. How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, good question. Appreciate it. So um, we actually hired a new uh, marketing director who um, takes care of all of our marketing content. So we have uh, webinars that are that are coming up in Q4 along with Q1 2022. Um, you can uh, find out more about those on our website, transparentedge.com. 
LinkedIn.com. Also, we're probably worth a good LinkedIn follow on uh, Transparent Energy, just because we, we post so many different articles from time to time where uh, executive members of our staff are being interviewed for articles that appear on Yahoo Finance or in the Wall Street Journal as recently as this past week. So um, if you give us a follow on, on Transparent Energy, that's probably a good place to start. Um, and then my email is simple. It's just gangelillo, A-N-G-E-L-I-L-L-O at transparentedge.com. Awesome. Very good. Very cool. Okay, I think that's the show. Great. Thanks for having me on. Oh, Thank again, you. it was too much fun with you guys. If you ever need a third host, co-host, let me know. Oh, wow. Definitely. Thank you. We definitely will. Um, yeah, so thank you to our listeners, especially the subscribers. We really appreciate the support. Thank you to New Jersey Manufacturers Insurance Group, the official sponsor of the show. They do home, auto, and workers' comp, so check them out if you need some updated coverage. And finally, thanks to Greg Angelillo of Transparent Energy for joining us today. 